strategic plans should be altered. So that as well as saying what you're going to focus on for the next four years, you should be saying as well, there should be a section saying what you are going to be giving less focus to. Because to be strategic is to know what you're giving priority to and what you're giving less priority to. If you can't say what you're not doing this term, this year, and why, then I don't think we've got a strategic plan. So maybe that might be worth um, thinking about. Two of your colleagues have suggested something like nature 
of your improvement attempt should be. How do you possibly know what the solution to the problem is if you don't diagnose the cause? And the cause lies in the practices of the people, school-based practices, of course there are those non-school-based contributors. But in the school-based practices that contribute to the outcome you want to shift. So that's the big message. Shall I go on? <laughs> okay. So many of you will have seen this. This is Peter Senge's um, model of, um, he calls it mental models. Um, but what this diagram is saying is that what you see those teachers doing is the observable actions above the surface of the sea. You've seen that they are not implementing the assessment for learning strategies in the ways that we would like. That's what you see, the actions and inactions. But what you don't see are the belief systems which are highly tacit and taken for granted. That maintain the practices that you don't like and rule out the practices you want them to adopt. And it's below the surface, but it is, it is causally connected to the stuff above the surface, to the teaching practices that you see. So, mental models I call theories of action because they tell us what to do in certain contexts. This is the most powerful tool of inquiry that I use when I'm doing the school improvement work I was telling you about in this school. I do theories of action for relevant actions with senior leaders constantly. Theories of action describe the links between what leaders do and don't do, actions and inactions, and the beliefs and values that explain them and the consequences. So you see the actions, you need to discover the tacit, taken for granted assumptions, and each one of those actions, or the set of actions, will have intended and unintended consequences. And it's called a theory because from the point of view of the leader, it tells them what to do, highly automatically and tacitly, of course. And from the point of view of the observer, it explains what those teachers are doing and not doing. So you want more instructional leadership? That's actions that you want. The principal I was working with, the senior leaders, were constantly not doing it. I realised that in my discussions with them, because they espoused being instructional leaders, I was assuming that just that espousal would in fact be sufficient for them to do it. 
that was, of course, completely wrong. And one meeting I remember, turning to them, principal and deputy, and I said, principal, can you, you've got your diaries in front of you, you've got your schedule, calendar, have a look. And for the last six weeks, just do a guesstimate right now of the amount of time you've spent leading the curriculum improvement, which was maths, that we're working on. Just do an estimate to yourself, keep it private. Deputy, would you do the same for your principal? Do an estimate, keep it private. Then I ask them to reverse it. You, principal, estimate for the deputy, deputy, and your answer assessment. That was a very quick way of discovering the actions, the time they were spending leading this curriculum improvement in maths. There had been over $100,000 spent on maths. In the previous three years, it had made not one jot of difference to student outcomes. Not one jot. So then we think that, and within seven minutes, they agreed it was between five and seven percent of their time. So now we have an understanding of Gauss We don't have an understanding, sorry, we have a description. The key is why. And getting that in a quite precise way. A school that's overwhelmed with special needs. Senior leaders that spend more time talking with police, social welfare, community agencies, parents who walk up to the school and expect to see the principal any time they can. Overwhelmed with the special needs and pastoral work of the families. With the unintended consequence of establishing expectations within the school that that's what leaders will do, with the unintended consequence of stress, frustration, and sense of failure of the senior leaders. But we understood why it was happening, and we then changed. So don't design anything which assumes that your leaders are going to be instructional leaders without understanding why they currently are not. Okay? Because those barriers are not removed by some fancy instructional leadership course, even if it is based on my book. <laughs> they are removed by discovering them, making them discussable, and working together to get rid of them to the extent that they can be. That's the improvement process. Not focusing on the future, what you should be doing, but focusing on deeply understanding what you are not doing now and why. And in a highly collaborative, <coughs> empathic and respectful way. I think if policymakers did more of this, we would have fewer failed reforms and we would save millions and millions of dollars. The $100,000 that have been spent over three years in maths, 
and not one jot of difference to the student outcomes. And I said to the senior leaders in my first meeting, within 10 minutes, I said, I don't want you to spend another dollar on professional learning until we have understood why these attempts have failed so far. So here's a different example, but I'm just reinforcing this idea of the importance of understanding theories of action, of understanding the tacit theories that sustain the practices you want to change. The secondary example, here's a leader and involved is what is noticed. Notice it's located in the student outcomes. In this secondary school, low achievement in maths and science comprehension. That is actually a national problem in New Zealand. So you can take this, you can take this model and use it in any unit of analysis, team, school, group of school, system. So that was the consequence that needed to be improved. But there were other consequences of current teaching practices that the leader, through inquiry and listening, discovered were also important. For the teachers, they thought that the curriculum was covered. It's in scare quotes, because I want to say something more about that later. So the way, what were the consequences of their current teaching? They covered the curriculum. They struggled and struggled and eventually found ways to keep the class of year nine and 10 students under control. The factual knowledge of maths and science was good, the comprehension was not. So that's the problem, the starting point. What are the teaching actions that might contribute to that? And what inquiry do we need in order to find the causal link? And it's not the only link, of course, but it's the one you can leverage between what teachers are doing and not doing and those maths outcomes, maths and science outcomes. And that's what they were doing. The resources they were using, the teaching approach, and the assessment. Now notice that there is no opportunities in that approach for students to engage with rich text. Okay? So it begins to explain why when they are faced with word problems, they can't do it. But we haven't finished our inquiry because we haven't got into the beliefs and values box of those teachers who are doing that. We notice they're doing that, that's good, but we can't be empathic. We don't really have a causal understanding if we don't know what's in the beliefs box of our theory. And that's what's in the beliefs box. So look what we've learned about our problem. We've learned that it is far more than our maths problem. 
It's a problem of identity. It's a problem of responsibility. It's a problem of behavior management. And it's a problem of what it is to come up So sending those teachers off to a fancy maths pedagogy course doesn't address much of the drivers of their current practice. So that was the example, two examples, the instructional leadership example I gave you, the school I'm working with, and now the secondary maths and science comprehension example. So let's go more abstract now and theorise and get a concept of what is this approach to improvement. That is the most common approach. And you, two of you, talked about this when I asked you why improvement so attempts so often fail. The leader had an agenda to do something about those dreadful outcomes. If you don't discover the theory of action, this leader did, I gave you the example, but if you don't discover it and you just say, yep, okay, we've got a terrific maths pedagogy or we've got a new numeracy initiative or a new maths and science comprehension initiative, what you're doing is you're driving <coughs> off your future theory of action. You have an agenda for teachers to do something differently might be terrific professional learning. They may have been consulted about it. It is still bypass. Because you haven't discovered the tacit theory of action that explains the teaching practices that produce the poor outcomes or contribute to the poor outcomes. That's what bypass is. It's not about not consulting because, as I said, there's a lot of consultation happening. It is about not revealing the tacit theories of action that are linked to the, those outcomes. Notice it's bypassed because there is no engagement with this. It stands there. There's no connection. It's not revealed. It's not discussed. So there is no agreed evaluation of the teacher's theory versus your theory because only one theory is on the table and that's your agenda. Now bypass can have good outcomes if there is very little tension between the teacher's tacit theories of action of how to teach or how to treat the kids and what you propose or what the system proposes if there's little tension, then it might work. You might get this, teacher adapts to leader's theory. Because teachers adapt and adopt strategies all the time. But if there is tension between what you want and what they want, they won't. And what they want is revealed by their current theory. So that's bypass. I really want to stress that you can consult a lot and still bypass if you've consulted about their reactions to your agenda. 
your future improvement agenda, as opposed to inquiring into the theory of action that explains what they're currently doing and not doing. And that is engagement. And the thing that's key is that there are two theories on the table. That those teachers' theories that explain why they are teaching with worksheets, quizzes, not teaching domain-specific vocabulary <coughs> to help comprehension in science and maths, to teach the rules, if you like, of the discipline that hasn't been discussed. The behavioural issues haven't been discussed. And the outcome of that is an agreed interim evaluation of each theory. So this is your theory. Is it working for you? Well, it is in some ways, and in other ways it isn't. Okay. Shall we together build an alternative that retains what's important to you, but also shifts these outcomes? Yes. So we have an agreement to try something new to improve. Or we agree not to, because actually it's not about maths at all. It's about behaviour management. And so my job as leader is to support you in increasing your capability in that. And until that happens, we have to treat maths as business as usual for a while. Outcomes, in one case it's um, social outcomes, in another it's academic, 
and we've got videos which we're developing about each one of these. The first phase is a very long problem to be solved. It sounds simple, and often it is. In the school that I was asked to work in, the first meeting, within 10 minutes, I, will, I said, what is the problem you want me to help with? And they said, the maths outcomes. And I said, okay, tell me about that. Well, we've had cross-professional learning in the school of external facilitators for three years. We've spent $100,000, or the government has, and no outcomes have changed. Right, let's look at that. And then I said, Everything I do as a leadership facilitator with you, because I know nothing about that, everything I do as a leadership facilitator with you will be challenged, channeled, sorry, through your work leading improvement in mathematics in this school. So we aligned the leadership capability building with the maths. That was the focus. Nothing else. Because everything that needed to be put in place in order to make the maths work was the responsibility of leaders. And if they got that right and got the data management under control, got the teachers accountable for putting the data in on time, got the reports written on time, got team leaders who were given time and money to beat team leaders to do the job, to build the capability, even after three years of not knowing what the maths reform was and what it looked like and how to model it. All of that stuff, if that was put in place, then that school would be able to improve on anything it needed to. But without those conditions being in place, it couldn't do that. So bring on the problem to be solved. Then, Reveal the relevant theory or theories in action. And in the workshop that follows, I'm going to show people how to do this with a video that's nine minutes long. Because you need to be able to do this quickly. And I've got dozens of transcripts of leaders' conversations about problems. And they are highly inefficient. Walking around the issue, soft peddling being vague, not talking about the issue. And it leaves the teachers confused. What was that about? What was that conversation about? And sometimes leaders are doing it with the best will in the world, thinking that it's about building trust. Actually, it creates mistrust. Because the teacher's sitting there thinking, what's he talking about? Why am I ever being given this opportunity to do something? <laughs> what I've got enough on my plate, thank you very much. We have another opportunity. So that's phase two. Reveal the theory or theories of action. And I'm hoping by the end of the day today, you will know how to do phase one and phase two. Phase three. Evaluate the relative merit of the current and alternative theories of action. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, I don't know anything much about maths like me. Um, and so where does this alternative theory or theory come from? Well, it comes from 
expertise you have within your school, you have a teacher or teachers whose outcomes are far better than others, there's some internal expertise. Or, as in my case, I'm hooked up with a maths secondary specialist facilitator to figure out what the alternative should be. Implementing knowledge or new sufficiently shared theory. So we're going to go slowly through those phases. And as I say, all of this in my box. I have met too many leaders who don't want to use the word problem because they think problems are negative. They want to talk about the future. Well, I hope I've given you some arguments while talking about the future and opportunities to do things differently without talking about why, why that will be an improvement over what I'm doing now does not motivate me. So if you want people to do things differently, it's really important that you're able to respectfully say why. And that's the evaluative tool that you practice and that you use because you are now focused on improvement, meaning moving from one condition to another where the second is better than the first, you hope. And that's what you're both going to be looking for. Doesn't mean to say that the current situation is terrible. It might be, but it might not be. But you're talking improvement, doing something even better, and having reasons for why. Because if you want teachers to do something differently, that is a huge ask in terms of their energy and effort. You all know that teachers make hundreds of decisions on the spot a day. They have hundreds of routines which have evolved and which are so tightly interconnected. And if you pick out one thing from that net and ask them to change it, they have to recalibrate all the other routines that are connected with the ones you're asking them to change. So they need to know why you want them to do it. And that's constructive. And all you want is agreement to make a start and learn together. They've probably got completely different causal theories from you about why things are going wrong, about why those outcomes are the way they are. That's not the issue in phase one. The issue in phase one is you both agree that they're not as good as you both like them to be. That's all we need to make a start. Phase one, you talk about the whole stuff. And you check whether or not the teachers are also disappointed in those results. That's all. You get agreement to make a start or doing something about it. That's phase one. Agree on the problem to be solved. But you've also learned that there's some other things by listening to that teacher that are really important to them. On this one. 
so you've asked what was done or not done. You've got the beliefs and values that explain why it was done or not done. And you've got the consequences. So you've revealed the We're going to be practicing this in the workshop, but ask direct and respectful questions. Okay, so you're giving them worksheets and quizzes. Can you tell me why you're doing that? Well, I've tried giving them rich texts and they can't read them. I've tried that and they play up. I can't manage them because they can't engage with them. So that's why I'm using. I'm supposed to start with where the students are at, aren't I? Well, they can't read them, so I'm starting with the things they can read. Worksheets. And what I do when I'm having these conversations is I fill out the theory of action as we go. And then I say to them, have I understood you? Are those your beliefs? And that's why you're giving worksheets. And those are some of the consequences that you intend and some that you don't intend. So in phase three, we're going to move to something different. And we have one of the things in education that helps us so much is that we have lots of common ground. We all want better outcomes. So the consequences we each want, yes, of course I'd like the maths and science comprehension to be better than it is. Of course I'd like that. This teacher also wants to cover the curriculum because sees it as part of her responsibility in terms of preparation for exams. and we need to agree on those consequences. So this is what we both want. And notice that curriculum is covered no longer has scare quotes around it. Because you've advocated for a different framing of what that means. It doesn't mean getting through the chapters and the text. It means that the students understand the key concepts at the curriculum level. That they deeply understand it. And notice that I've got in there that the class is mostly under control. In both. So that is something that is critically important to the teacher. And if your improvement effort doesn't acknowledge that and help with that and take that into account, there is no way that teacher's going to teach maths differently. So what is legitimate about the unfair interest needs to be acknowledged, respected and put into the improvement agenda. But instead of just factual knowledge, we now need students who can explain their reasoning. And we both want that higher achievement that's where we started. So now we have common ground around what we both want. We don't know how to get there because we're building this new improvement theory and agenda together. 
And don't forget, I don't know much about maths. So I'm getting nervous about what goes in the actions box because I'm not sure what the pedagogy of this should be. But I'm going to use evidence based on research and good practice to generate alternative actions that will achieve the preferred consequences. And I was serious when I said that some of the relevant expertise for how to do this might be in your school. And the way you tell is by disaggregating the data on student outcomes from maths and science and seeing whether there are particular teachers who are getting, this if you're in a large school, of course, and I'm talking secondary, and seeing whether there are specific particular teachers who do seem to be getting better results with similar kids. If there are not, then you access external resources. But one of the things I think is your job as leaders is to do what I call authorising internal expertise. That is it, making it okay for a teacher to stand up and be identified as having relevant expertise to help others. Because teachers often won't do that themselves. The tall poppy syndrome and all the rest of it. So those are the, the teaching actions that are currently, that your inquiry into the current practice found were causally related to those outcomes. So what is the alternative pedagogy that's going to give us what we both want? Well, some version of that, according to my maths facilitator, secondary specialist maths facilitator, some version of that. Using rich text rather than simplified text extracts. Small group teaching for the understanding of the topic. Teaching the subject-specific literacy strategies for science and maths. And oral and written problem-solving processes for assessment. And the teacher saying, can't do that, can't do that. That won't work with my kids. So what are we going to do? We're going to discuss the shifts that are going to be needed over time and the support that is going to be given to help that teacher or those teachers to make those shifts. And acknowledge that this is more than maths. And over time, We want to shift from that to that. And notice this last bullet point. Now this is not religious conversion. You're going to have skepticism. Okay? And that's absolutely justified because these teachers' experience for years has been that the only way this will work and that they can keep the kids under control is to use those quizzes and worksheets. Plus, 
they're not sure what, what it means to teach subject specific nursing. So they're going to need expert support and ongoing support. But what you're wanting over time is to shift that conception of self as a maths and science teacher. And sufficient trust in you and the expertise and support that you're providing, sufficient trust that they're willing to start. That's right. So you have built up the alternative together, starting with the common ground of consequences that you both want, then moving to the new actions, and then the beliefs, which will often follow the new actions. If it starts working, if they start trusting the professional learning support that they're getting, then the beliefs will change over time. Seek agreement on whether the alternative is worth trying. And monitor progress and keep refining the alternative. This, this iterates, of course. about the iteration in phase four, implement and monitor a new sufficiently shared theory of action. Implementation is the hardest part of improvement. There's far too much emphasis on policy design or improvement design. <coughs> Often that design doesn't work because it is not based on a deep understanding of common pra current practice. So we have a maths initiative that doesn't recognise actually that current practice in maths is hugely driven by behaviour management and grouping practices and beliefs. And so the implementation turns out to be problematic. So being close to the ground as instructional leaders. It's why I said to the senior leaders, how much time are you spending? If this is a major strategic priority in your school, I said to the principal and deputy principal, that's why I said, how much time are you spending leading this? And it was very difficult, as I said. So I had to help them shift it because they couldn't learn about the obstacles to teachers doing this if they were too far removed from it. You cannot know what are the barriers. The barriers in assessment practices, the barriers in texts, the barriers in working strategies, the barriers in behaviour management capabilities. Those are all leadership issues and leaders that are not closely following and monitoring what's happening when teachers are trying to make improvements won't become aware of those barriers and of what is needed to overcome. That's why 
instructional leadership is so critical in the area of self-improvement. And it's not the front-end work. Yes, the front-end work is phase one, why are we doing this and what is the problem we're trying to solve? It's not so much the front-end work as the work throughout, the hard work of iterating and learning together as we go. Learning that the results are not going to improve, not because necessarily of something specific to maths, but because of grouping practices, because of behaviour management capability, because of assessment practices, as well as maths Teachers are not being supportive, 
and over time, senior leaders and middle leaders were colluding in pretense that they knew how to do this mass medical. So that was the second theory of action we uncovered. What is a high trust school? And what is that belief? And what does that lead to leaders doing and not doing? And what are the consequences? So we're making progress. Be again. But the thing that I'm stressing here is that every time you come across a big barrier, a set of practices that are not shifting, then move into that engagement mode of finding out what the theory of action is. Okay. Thank you. Questions, comments, pushback, come on. And I think this is what you're getting at, so I hope I'm right. 
but they all see. They want us as leaders to be happy and kind. They want us to be curious, to work with them, teamwork, to be decision makers, but to also listen, to act with integrity, to collaborate, but mostly provide a safe environment to learn, to learn together, and that is taking action. So Vivian, thank you. You create a space today to think, for all of us to think about what has changed. So today we have to, let's ask why we are doing what we're doing. Let's reflect. Let's reflect on what our inquiry theories of action are. Let's engage. Let's engage in the teacher's theory of action and what that alternate theory of action may be. So, should we make a start? Thank you. for the honour of coming and addressing your conference. I it's left, but I particularly wanted to thank Uncle Wally for educating me some more about uh, the Indigenous people of this area. And I also wanted to add my thanks to Dixon College for that amazing uh, video clip we saw of Student Voice. There's a clicker somewhere, I think. Thank you, Joe. Now that title might seem a little bit strange because we're repeatedly told that we're in a world of constant change. So am I asking you to ignore that world or to reduce the amount of change? And the answer is, Yes, in terms of your ability to intervene, the number of initiatives you design, you introduce, you ask your teachers to engage with. And so the whole of my talk this morning is going to be on that somewhat paradoxical theme, reduce change to increase improvement in a world of constant change. Everything I say is based on this book. And that book represents, dare I say, too long, 40 years of thinking about deliberate interventions into organisation, into groups, organisations and systems. So it's pain change I'm talking about interventions. 40 years of thinking about that and trying it and trying to improve my own skills. I'm now a leadership facilitator in New Zealand, number 634, accredited by the Ministry of Education. I had to complete a portfolio and given that I had trained about a third of New Zealand's facilitators just as well I was approved. <laughs> but I'm doing it because I want to be a grounded. 
I'm working in a school close to where I live, a large primary school, in a very economically disadvantaged area. I had no idea at the time that it would turn into a turnaround school situation. And I've been using the methodology I describe in this book to help turn that school around. And we're succeeding. My next challenge is to write about that as a case study of improvement. I want to position my talk within your role as school and system leaders. There are three parts to your role. One is maintaining business as usual. The hundreds and hundreds of routines that need to go smoothly in your school and system in order to make things run well. That's one part of your job. And another part is dealing with crises and surprises. And my colleagues in Christchurch at the moment are dealing with the most enormous and tragic surprise and crisis. With crisis teams in their schools, with pastoral care becoming absolutely paramount for the next few weeks, looking after students and families, and system leaders dropping everything in order to help with that work in Christchurch and beyond, actually. So that's the second part of the role. The crises and surprises that disrupt every time you write that list of things you're going to achieve today or this week or this month or whatever. And then you look at the end and you think, oh, right, okay, we'll just move that on to tomorrow's list or the weekend's list. But hopefully there is enough space for the third part of your role, which is pursuing priority goals. That's the improvement aspect of the role. Because the goals you set in your strategic and annual plans are goals that you have set because business as usual is not good enough. So you take it out of business as usual to put the spotlight on it and set it as an improvement goal. That's what I'm going to be talking about this morning. So I want to go through four parts to this talk. The distinction between change and improvement and why I think that distinction is so important. Quickly, the typical approach to leading improvement. Then I want to contrast two approaches which I call bypass approach to improvement and the engage approach improvement. And then quickly the four phases of their engagement and the workshop that follows today is going much deeper into the skills, the conversations involved in engagement. That's what happens if you don't distinguish between change and improvement. There is an absolute blizzard of change, initiatives, innovations, programs. 
I ask leaders sometimes why they are doing so much in their school that's new. And one of the reasons is because if the students are not achieving where they, we want them to be, then we must need to do more. So we bring in something more. Whereas I'd rather say, first, look at what we're doing now and improve it. Incremental change may be the key to improvement, not something new, not something innovative. So what is this distinction? That's what to lead changes. That's what it is to lead improvement. So all you are doing in changing things is making something different. There is masses of evidence in educational research history of reform of examples of changes that made things no better, or in some cases worse. There is nothing necessarily desirable about change, nor about innovation. All innovation is, is doing something new. So what I want to do is disrupt the, disrupt the fact that the word change has acquired what philosophers call an honorific. Honorific means that it is assumed it is desirable. It is much more ambitious for you to want to lead improvement. <coughs> improvement is to exercise influence in ways that create something better. Now, of course, we never know whether it's going to be better. But if we make the distinction at the outset, certain things have to happen. The language of improvement invites evaluative discussion. You are putting your stake in the ground and saying, I want things to be better. Don't know how to get there yet. Don't know whether we'll absolutely achieve it. But that's what I want. And of course, as soon as you say that, You will be challenged to articulate why you think that this is going to be better than what your teachers are already doing and achieving. <coughs> why is this literacy initiative going to make for better student outcomes? What is the problem for which we need an initiative? Let's look at that problem. Let's diagnose it. Let's then compare the practices that we're currently using to teach literacy with the practices that are in the new literacy initiative and let's compare them and debate from the outset the likely success 
of the millions of dollars we're going to spend on illiteracy promotion. Or the tens of thousands or the thousand dollars if we're talking about your school. Because this distinction applies to changes, to intended improvements that you initiate as school leaders as well as to externally driven programs and initiatives. So there's just the first question to contemplate. If I had more time, I'd ask you to discuss that. If you might just want to think about that question. oversimplified review of how school improvement typically occurs. Step one, identify a problem. I think school leaders and system leaders are getting miles better at locating the starting point for improvement attempts in student outcomes, whether it's social outcomes, bullying, engagement, or academic outcomes. I think we're far better as systems and schools in using a basket of evidence about student outcomes to locate problems that we need to address. So that's usually step one, all good. Then there is an improvement strategy designed. I do a lot of work in Victoria with the Baslow Institute of Educational Leadership and they go to the most extraordinary lengths to consult with teachers in the designing of that new literacy initiative, let's say. Or of the Baslow Wellbeing Program. How many of you have been through the Baslow Wellbeing Program? Well, I'm proud to say that I was part of the design of that, and you'll probably recognise some of the design features as I go on this morning. But there was a lot of teachers and principals associations consulted in the design of that. So the bad old days of we were done to, we weren't consulted with this new initiative. Of course, there will be occasions when that's not true. But as I see improvement being designed currently, that tends to not be the case. And then, so we have a problem identified, we have teachers and affected parties involved in the design of the new initiative or strategy or program, and what do we get? We get pockets of improvement and pockets of no change. And in my country in New Zealand, where we have a major problem with inequity of outcomes, pockets of improvement perpetuate the inequity. And you and your 
those stories will think about and know the issue of within-school variance in student outcomes. And you will know that there will be some teachers who will take it on board and others who won't. And until we can address that issue of within-school variance in your school, in your community of learning, in your system, we will never get on top of our inequity problem. Never. So that to me is absolutely key. How do we get alongside and work with the teachers who don't want to do what we want them to do? Okay. And it is at that level of that teacher that you can think of that's the micro level of the macro problem. The system problem. So why does that approach to improvement identify the problem, increasingly located in student outcomes, consult with the affected people in order to design the program or the initiative or the change, and then the results are those that I've talked about. Pockets of improvement and persistence of lack of improvement in the very contexts in which it is most needed. Why does that so often fail? Take a minute to talk to the person next to you about why, as long as you promise to come back when I ask you to. <laughs>